Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have called us to be humble before you in the shadow of your strength and your might. For yours is the dominion forever and ever. May we learn to have humble hearts to your glory. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Please be seated. There's a story about a monk that goes something like this. He was a young monk, and he thought himself to be a rather humble person, which should have been our first warning about that monk. He goes to visit an elder in his community, and as he's talking to the elder, the elder says, well, let us pray together. And the young monk says, well, I am not worthy to do that with you. And so the older monk says, well, okay, let me wash your feet then. And again, the younger monk says, I am not worthy to do that with you. So the older monk thinks, he says, well, let us eat together. And the younger monk agrees to this, and they eat. After they finish eating, the older monk rebukes the younger monk, calling him to true humility. But the younger monk is offended, and so the older monk explains. Basically, what it gets down to is the younger monk, although he had the outward sign of humility, had inward pride. And the older monk saw this when he refused to do the simple things of faith with him, but then sat down and ate. And then he explained to the younger monk, I did this in love. You must learn to bear all things, even those offenses that are not done in love. And then you will be truly humble. We are rapidly approaching the end of St. Peter's first epistle. And this morning, St. Peter writes, humble yourself. Be therefore under the hand of Almighty God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are both experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal joy in Christ, will himself restore you, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Humility under God's almighty power is key to how we understand this passage. Humility tells us that we can do no good thing outside of the grace of God. Humility requires dependence upon God. And when we learn to be humble, we come into his power and strength. 
but outside of him, we have no strength. But humility is more than just that. Humility leads us to die to ourselves because we bury our pride and our sin in the death of Christ. And in that, he exalts you in his resurrection. Humility is our calling as Christians as we follow Christ. My grandmother used to say that she would be anxious to see us as we were coming to visit. What she meant by this, her first language was not English, was that she was excited that we were about to come and visit her. But it was more than that. It was that her mind was captured by this excitement and that she would spend the next day beforehand preparing for our visit, making sure the house looked good, making ready dinner that we might enjoy a meal with her and my grandfather. In her mind, that anxiety was a good thing. But of course, we normally understand that anxiety is negative, but it's that same idea that something has captured our mind and that we can't let go of it. It usually manifests itself in worry. I suspect that each and every one of you know anxiety in some form or another all too well. But St. Peter calls us to be anxious, to cast all our anxieties on Christ. Humility allows us to do this, for it recognizes that we cannot solve our problems outside of Christ. Rather, we are called to total dependency upon God, called that we would throw whatever cares and worries have captured our mind for that day upon him. For it is God alone who can heal these anxieties. But this is also linked to the next part, linked to protection from the devil. For the devil roams around seeking to destroy people and telling them, you need not depend upon God. The devil has used this lie time and time again throughout the history of the world. And in fact, the only times that I can think of when we see the devil actively tempting people, it is this lie that you do not need to depend upon God. If we go back to Genesis 3, we see this at the very beginning of the earth. The devil is the serpent in this setting. And we learn this later, of course, in Revelation. But it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of any fruit of the tree in the garden. But God said, you shall, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent tempts Eve and tells her that if you take this fruit, you will be like God. You will not need to depend upon him. Before this horrible event, man and woman, Adam and Eve, walked perfectly with God. They had perfect fellowship with him, perfect 
dependency upon him. But then the devil sent that lie and said, if you eat that fruit, you will be like him. That is his temptation. And that's the temptation that Peter is urging us against, to not be like God, but to depend upon him perfectly. The second temptation of the devil comes in chapter 4 of St. Matthew's Gospel, when Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And it continues that he is there to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by, the bread, by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands... They will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mount and showed him the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Be gone. Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. As Christ demonstrates, and as Eve and Adam failed to do, we are called to be dependent upon God in Christ. There are temptations in this world, and that desire to be wholly independent of ourselves often rises up in our hearts, especially as trouble befalls us. But we see modeled in Christ that dependency upon God the Father. And so St. Peter says, resist him. Resist the devil who says, you can be like God too. You need not depend upon your, on him. But he says, resist him in two things. First, in faith. Trusting what the Lord God has said is true. And that, of course, is Christ's first response to the devil when he's tempted. He responds to the devil in his hunger and desire for food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Trust his word and know that it is true. Trust his word and resist the devil in faith. Believe that the Lord is good and true and faithful and powerful to see you through. But remember also that you share in the suffering of Christ. You share with the whole church in his suffering. For Christ suffered on the cross for your sins. And on that, in that suffering, 
Your sin is bound to him. Your sin and you are bound to him. For our salvation, for our redemption, for our sanctification, for every daily need, we are called to be bound to Christ. Called to be completely dependent upon him. And so when we do suffer, it is not some punishment. It is not because we were not good enough. It is because it is drawing us nearer and nearer to Christ. It is because you are being brought into intimacy with him. You are being bound to the whole church. When the church suffers overseas, whether it be in China or the Middle East, as persecution falls upon it, it is not being punished but being drawn into him. And more than that, being drawn into Christ's glory. Humility in suffering brings you to restoration at the end. Humility brings us into this restoration that we are promised. For humility ties us to Christ. And St. Peter gives five ways in which our restoration happens at the end. First, eternal glory. I have mentioned to you a few times before how much I enjoy going out into nature and seeing the beauty and how it gives my heart pause. And sometimes when I'm feeling particularly holy, I remember that nature is but a glimpse, a tiny fraction of the beauty of God's glory. For someone else, it might be that time that they first met their wife and their heart skipped a beat as they saw her beauty. Or perhaps when they first held your, their child. For you, who knows what this moment is, but we have all experienced heart-pausing beauty. Those moments of beauty that we experience, those moments of joy, those moments of love that are greater than we can articulate are a fraction of the glory which we see in God, are a fraction of his goodness. And the promise is that after humility and suffering, after a short span in this life, we will experience that glory. How good is that? We will also experience restoration. One of the most interesting things that I've seen when talking to non-Christians and Christian young people alike is there's that deep sense of brokenness inside of them. I think that I have been a priest and pastor long enough to know that most everybody is aware of this sense of brokenness. This sense that something in the world is not quite right. That something inside our hearts longs for something more perfect than what we experience now. St. Augustine described it as our hearts are restless until they rest in God. God restores our brokenness. The brokenness that was brought to us by our first father, Adam, when he sinned against God, when he and Eve ate the fruit, which they were explicitly commanded not to eat. Our brokenness is caused by our sin, but God will wipe away that sin in Christ And God will restore us to the perfection 
that we were meant to be in. And finally, we will be confirmed, strengthened, and established. These three words are actually somewhat synonymous and perhaps a little bit confusing to understand. And the NIV, I think, is the, is the translation that captures it a little better than our translation. As they chose to render it, they will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And these sound like the same thing. But I think what St. Peter is really trying to drive home is again this idea that our strength is not within ourselves. Our strength is found in resting in Christ. The most interesting of these words is the one which our translation renders confirmation. This word is only used here in the New Testament, and it is used once in the Greek Old Testament. And I have a feeling that St. Peter knew about this usage. It is used once by Job's miserable comforter, Eliphaz, as he talks about the strength of lions. Catch that? He talks about the strength of lions. And who does Peter say the devil is? A roaring lion. But if we try to resist the roaring lion on our own strength, you will fail to resist him. No, Peter says, find your strength in God and God alone. It is there that you are strengthened like a lion. It is there in the strength of God in Christ that you can find the strength to resist that roaring lion. But the ultimate reason for our humility is none of this. The ultimate reason for our humility is because to him, to God, belongs the dominion forever and ever. To him, to God, belongs all power, all glory and honor. All power, all glory and honor belong to God and God alone. And so it is when we try to find all power and glory and honor in ourselves, we steal it from God, who it alone belongs to. And so, my beloved friends, you are called to trust in God humbly, recognizing that it is him who has this glory and power and honor. Will you accept that invitation? Will you rest humbly in the glory and honor that God, has, that God has, will you rest in Christ in all things? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.